Hello and welcome to the Global Digital Futures podcast, where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global south. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera. The researcher on this episode was Dervila Nivrenan, and the editor was Eliza Bacon. On this episode, we are speaking to Thais Koshino and Amelie Meyer, co-founders of the Diverse NFT Art Initiative. This aims to provide a community for women, BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus NFT artists. Thais is a digital artist from Brazil whose work is featured on the Hick et Nook NFT platform. And Amelie Meyer is an artist and senior creative developer currently based in Toronto, Canada. Hi, Tyus. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Nice to join you. Hi. So let's start with a technical description of what NFTs are. Just for our listeners who may not know, and also it took me a while to get my head around the concept as well. So yeah, what is an NFT and why all the hype and buzz? Yeah, I can start, I guess. NFTs, from what I understand, are assets on the blockchain. There's never been a way to own a digital asset really until the blockchain came along and the blockchain allows people to take ownership of digital media. It could be an image, it could be a video, it could be a piece of poetry and people can now collect these things. The more we see metaverses being built, we're going to see more people house these pieces of art or assets they collect obviously in spaces and stuff. And this is the way the kind of future is going, you know, like people like to own content, whether it's something physical or something digital and NFTs allow people to do that. And Tyus, just from an artist's perspective, what is an NFT to you? How would you describe it? Well, NFTs are not something that are artistic or anything. Like Emily said, they are an asset in the blockchain, which means they are a registered code of something. And right now we are seeing that most of NFTs are registers of digital artwork. But they can be, in fact, almost anything. But right now we are seeing in the art world, in the art world is happening this revolution. So it's kind of cool to be here and see everything happening. Yeah, that's true, actually. I had watched this tutorial that... You know, NFTs have been existing, especially in gaming and that sort of space, but now are blowing up in the art world. So could you also just tell us a little bit about the process of minting an artwork and how that benefits artists? Yeah, the process of minting artwork depends on which platform are you using, because Every platform has its own smart contract and sometimes operates on different blockchains. But the advantage is that you can sell your artwork in a way that both for you and for the buyer, they have the security of its authenticity. Yeah, and anyone has the ability to mint an object, right? Whether it's on super rare Hiccup Nook Foundation. And it gives people the power to, as Tyson was saying, sell their work for the first time. I think in traditional media where artists can only sell their work through galleries and stuff, it's a lot harder to kind of get known. But now, because it's more decentralized, anyone has that power to put their name out there and sell their work and build up that reputation without these gatekeeping barriers in the artwork. Yeah, for sure. Like Emily said, somehow it makes bigger people who can sell and buy artwork for independent artists. It's a very good way to connect with the global community because sometimes you can only sell to people that are around you. But with NFTs, we can sell for people 
in the whole planet. And it gives this possibility to sell art with authentic validation without needing a gallery, an intermediary person or institution to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're saying about decentralization is a really, really important part of it. From what I've been reading about and seeing on Twitter and the like. What about the financial opportunities for artists? I'm not sure how competitive the NFT space is or how difficult it is to even get one's NFT seen. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess the NFT space has been very competitive since I, I guess one of the most defining moments of this year was people selling his $69 million NFT. And that's kind of sparked an interest in a lot of artists wanting to show that artwork and sell their own work as well, because there were so many people making artwork personally on Instagram, not really thinking about how to monetize their work and stuff. And all that's required now is just a wallet address and these platforms allow you to put your work out there. So it's really interesting to see how more and more people and artists are kind of coming to this space, but they're also trying to get the attention on Twitter. One of the things that we observed in March was the competitiveness was it was kind of dividing people. And it wasn't really nice to see that because you would have certain people on Twitter saying, oh, we're going to collect your artwork. I've got 20 Ethereum in my wallet. And we know they're just kind of clickbaiting people. They're not really being genuine about it. And we wanted to bring more people together through our diverse NFT art initiative and help the independent artists by creating a like platform for them and showcasing their work and kind of bringing it to other people that might not necessarily know about them. Yeah, it's funny because we talk about decentralization and it implies to create things collectively, but most of the big platforms that are marketplace of NFTs, they increase the competition, like making ranks established by which artist sells more. So who is on the top will still be on the top. And in March, we also had like the launch of Hikatnung platform, which is a marketplace that somehow stands on a different position. They don't hang artists, doesn't have this social media interactions it's kind of more minimal and direct you go there and you meet so it also shows different side of it and it made the community grow together instead of making people compete it shows like a side that if everyone's work together maybe we can get somewhere else maybe we can get in another way there which i think is very important because decentralized financial <laughs> is something that has a lot of power and can really change the way we live now, but it also can be a trap, right? Like a financial system that's not regulated by any government, the market regulating itself, that's very dangerous if we don't think through how we want to build this decentralized thing or which agents should have a power to direct. And I think the key to do it, it's communication. I think no one is ready to really embrace decentralized systems because we were born, everything that taught us. We always are thinking about these huge organizations that have a central power and they work well, they make a lot of money because this is the way it has always been. So now we are seeing something different, but if we don't take a direction consciously, it won't be this real change. It will be just a translation of 
the system that's already been happening. Yeah, for sure. And actually, as you're speaking, Tyus, I'm even thinking about the geopolitical, I could call them biases, I guess, just because before we discovered Hick and Nook in our research, we were actually finding it quite challenging to connect with and find platforms in the global south and artists in the global south and people talking about NFTs, the popular or followed writers or just thinkers about it. Everyone was in London, in America, different parts of America. So I think even a platform like Hick and Nook is really important for communities outside the West and in the global South, sort of decentralizing that aspect as well, if making it truly global and giving opportunities that are truly global. So actually, I wanted to ask both of you, how did you first encounter NFTs? How did you get into NFTs with regards to art? And what brought you together to create diverse NFT art? Yeah, I, I guess for me, um, I've always been making digital art. It's kind of how I taught myself to code, but I've never really thought about selling my artwork. I've just made it for the enjoyment. And when I saw the media really highlight how interesting NFTs can be for artists and stuff, I became really interested. You know, I didn't really understand cryptocurrency that much this year until I really kind of researched it and understood the potential of what it could bring for me and stuff. And Yes, yeah, so I guess in March when I saw Hicket Nook launch, it kind of sparked an interest, you know. I saw it was more for the people versus for the famous artists. And I really liked the clean NFT approach as well. It was like, you know, publicizing because there was a lot of heated debate at that moment in time, whether ecological impact of the blockchain on Ethereum, how much electricity that uses and the Tezos Obviously, cryptocurrency it uses way less electricity for minting and for transactions. So that kind of drew me to that platform and I started to mint some of my first artworks I ever made. And I didn't sell many, but it was more just the fact that I could create this presence online. And throughout that time, I was wondering, where's the diverse artists? I see a lot of the prominent people in this community being more like male and those are the ones making the most noise in Twitter and having their artwork sold. And I would see the diverse people kind of tweet, where's the other artists? Where can we talk to each other? And I just saw an opportunity to create an account where we could bring these people together. And I think after like a day of making a Twitter account, I reached out to Tyce because I saw what she was doing for Hiketnuk. She's a diverse artist as well. And I just thought it'd be a really strong collaboration between us both to create the safe space for artists like ourselves to have a voice in the NFT world. Let's take a short break. You are listening to the Global Digital Futures Podcast with Chipo Mapondera where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global south. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. And Tyus, how did you get into NFTs? Yeah, for me, it's just kind of been doing art for a long time now. But I usually work with drawing and I had an independent small press. So I was very into the physical art, printing books, printing zines. And, but last year with the pandemic, I started a project, a digital simulation that is called Jardim. 
but I didn't know what to do with it. So I started mentoring. I wasn't the mentor. I was the one that was having mentor. So it was like in the beginning of February, I heard about NFTs. So I started researching it. Also, my brother, who is an artist as well, he works with game and 3D modeling. So he was also researching about it and we started talking. And in almost in the end of the fe February, he told me about Hicket Nunc and Rafael because we are all from Brasilia, Brazil. I know Rafael personally. So we started talking and it was very like, we didn't know where Hicket Nunc could go, but we were like, okay, we want to do digital art. So let's do it on Hicket Nunc. And we start inviting, of course, all of our friend artists because I think it goes a lot with what you said before, Shippo. It's like there, there was no possibility for like Brazilian artists to join into the Ethereum platforms because usually the investment is something 50 to $70. And that's a lot, really, a lot of money for Brazilian people. It's really risky because there's a huge competition and you're going to invest this kind of money without having any security that you have the money back that you sell your piece. So with it at Nong, it opens like this huge door to everyone from the global south to mint for less than one dollar. So it, for me, it started like that and In this project that I was working, in the digital simulation, you can create also an image automatically. It's kind of a generative artwork. And I start minting these works and people was liking. So that's how I got involved. I feel like Hiketnunk really shows this other possibility of how can we think about marketplace and NFTs. And of course, I had this background. I had a small press that We only publish female authors. I also work organizing independent book fairs. And for me, it was always a concern to integrate the minorities because myself, I am one, I am a lesbian cis woman. Also, I'm half Japanese, so I'm racialized. And when we go global, I'm also Brazilian. I come from the global south and we have other kind of difficulties. So... Right in the beginning, I was like, okay, I must find some way to include this kind of artist that never had their voice heard. And when Emily invited me, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And with Emily and with the person FT, we've done some really cool things together. No, that's amazing. And I feel like the growth that I've read about the growth of Hicketnook and also of diverse NFTs. You started in March 2021, right? And you've done so many interesting things. I'd like to go into that. And, you know, people are responding, getting involved. So that also shows that people were really looking for these spaces and these platforms to engage with as well. It shows the need. So could you just tell us a bit about how the platform has grown since you launched in March? Maybe some of the programs and activities that you have done, uh, like Object for Object, and you have the Prisma project currently. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Tyson and I were both on Hiketnak in March. And Shortly after forming Diverse NFT Art, we started to brainstorm ideas of bringing more people together. And 
One thing we saw quite interesting was the competition of how much people were trying to sell their NFTs for. People were listing their NFTs really high price and you know, were like, what if we just asked artists to swap their NFTs for free and just make friends with each other and start to form relationships and understand other people's artistic backgrounds and their practices and the reason why, why do they make art itself? And it just seemed like the perfect idea because... Tezos was really affordable. It's a really affordable cryptocurrency. And to mint artwork and to collect it on Hikatnuk, it's very cheap, you know. And especially if people from various countries where their, their monetary value is not as strong as other nations, it makes it more affordable and easier for people to collect. So yeah, the object for object idea was to mainly bring artists and collectors together to help kickstart their own personal artwork collection. And we saw the influx of people joining Hiccup Mac to participate in this because they saw Twitter fill up with free NFTs. And this is something you never hear about before because NFTs were mainly being used to sell and for people to make money. But we just thought it was a really nice idea just to bring the community together and also showcase more diverse artwork from people. How many people have been involved in some of the Object for Objects weekends? We also, in the Object for Object event, we also release a form where people can sign in with their objects. So for the first one, I think we had around 150 objects that were listed, but we checked the statistic and we had more than 5k tweets with the hashtag. And for the second one, both of them were like one month and a half apart. For the second one, we have almost I think more than 900 entries and we don't have the number of the hashtag on Twitter because it would get summed up with the previous one. But we feel that there were more NFTs, but people don't list it. And I think it was also the first event that used Hiketnung and the Twitter together. Like people would participate using hashtags and so far we have seen some other initiatives. So it's also like a milestone in this sense. Not only first and maybe only, I don't know so far, campaign that offers free NFT in a way that we want to create a community because for both of them, we always say like object for object, discover, share and collect. So it's for really artists to discover each other's because sometimes I do something here in Brazil and that is an artist on Malaysia, for example, that I would never know. And I see we have a similar practice so we can talk to each other. Or even if we don't have a similar practice, I like what they are producing so I can collect. Because, of course, this, the object for object, doesn't result in any money gain because everyone is giving it for free. But if you like an object, you probably go to the person profile and see the other NFTs they have available and you're going to purchase something. So that was the idea in general. And now we have the Prisma initiative because since we did the two objects for objects, Hiketnung uh, had given us somehow a reward for promoting the platform as well within these campaigns. Also, we received a huge donation from André Venancio, who is a programmer from Portugal. And we collect a fund. The idea was also to give back to the community of diverse NFT art. So Prisma started with this idea to buy diverse NFT artists' NFTs 
And we thought, why not make exhibitions? Why not try to do decentralized exhibitions instead of just me and Amelie picking what we are going to buy? Because I can say for sure, I have my favorite artists. I have a personal taste. So if it's just me picking up, it's going to be the same person always, the same people always, right? So how can we do it in a way that it goes to a bigger public, a bigger audience? So we are trying this decentralized curation experiment. And we did the first curation. It's going to be released soon. And we're going to select the next curator. But the next curator will select the next one and so far. So we don't, now we have the power to decide. But after that, who knows what can happen. That's really interesting. So does that mean that Diverse NFT Art will have purchased quite a collection of art? Like you'll purchase the art that the next curators pick as well? Yeah, we also made a guideline that how it goes. But for each exhibition, our... Budget is 70 tesos. It's not much, I know, but it's what we can do now. So it will be 60 tesos for purchasing artwork and 10 tesos for the curation, for the curator work. Amazing. And the exhibitions, when I was looking on your website at Object for Object, I saw, was it presented like a virtual exhibition space that a person could move through? I just saw some pictures, which looked amazing. And I was wondering, how did somebody experience that? And is that like in Prisma, will it also be some kind of virtual exhibition space that you can experience? Yeah, in Prisma, each curation, it will also be an NFT that Amelie has beautifully coded. So it is a 3D space but not like a metaverse. Yeah, I think it's one of these first initiatives to have a curation inside NFT because most of the exhibitions, they are like in metaverse, they are with NFTs, but they are not itself an NFT. So I think this is also something cool that we are doing right now. Maybe we are going to have a metaverse exhibition at the end because since this is the first experiment that we are doing, we are going to have five exhibitions. So it's June, July, August, September, October, November. And on December, we are going to do a full exhibition of this first batch of Prismas. So maybe in December, we are going to have a metaverse, but not sure. But Prisma itself, it is a 3D space exhibition, NFT. <laughs> it's incredible. <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Emily. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I guess we also, as Thais was saying, we created an interactive NFT for people to explore the curation for each month. So each curation, we release an interactive NFT and people can see the links to the objects we collect and also learn more about the artists. And it's just a nice way of people seeing what we've collected and it's like a little memento as well for the artists that we collect from. We're going to send each one of those, one of these interactive NFTs as a gift of thank you for helping us build up our diverse collection of artwork. And going back to the exhibition you saw on our website, we ran an exhibition in Crypto Voxels, which is a metaverse built on Ethereum. And that was launched in line with the Object for Object 2 campaign. So we had a person called Ricky reach out to us on Twitter and he kindly donated some of his land in CryptoVoxels and he built this exhibition for Object for Object 1. And 
it was really nice of him. He put a lot of time into this and it's something he didn't have to do, but he wanted to help us. And it was interesting for us to see how people would walk around and interact with the NFT exhibition as well. So that was a cool learning experience for us. Let's take a short break. Join the Global Digital Futures community. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at global underscore futures. Let's keep the conversation going. I'm really interested in the technical aspects of it as well, actually. Amelie, when we were looking at your profile, we saw that you're a creative developer. And I was wondering what that entails. I guess it's marrying both the technical aspects like coding with the creative aspects, or is it more creative or more technical? So yeah, I was just going to ask about your art practices, actually, like the creative development, coding, drawing, other media that you use. No, for sure. I guess what really got me into programming was Flash, Macromedia Flash back in the day. I was doing carpentry at the time as my career. And my friend gave me a copy of Flash and Maya. And I just taught myself how to make interactive 3D. And I think early 2000s, there wasn't many tutorials out there. It was just a curiosity to learn how to make art with code. And that really drove me down this path of what is creative development, you know, because you have traditional developer roles where it's mainly CSS, HTML. But I was always fascinated by how can I use maths to create artwork and how can I deconstruct something I see in real life, whether it's through nature, whether it's the formation of a plant or a tree, how can I replicate that for an algorithm? And that really drove my fascination with shaders and 3D models and basically programming 3D experiences and creating something really fun and interactive for a user to enjoy on their computer. And I've always used that practice to make artwork. I like the technical aspect and I like the visual aspect. So all the artwork I generally make is a combination of maths and art. So for somebody, I'm a junior, very junior software developer myself. So for somebody who wants to get into creative development, are there now some platforms where you can learn or is it learning a particular language? You mentioned Flash and did you say Maya? I'm Maya. Like, are those, do they still exist in the same way? But yeah, unfortunately, Flash had its time and internet technologies evolved and became more versatile. So now we have WebGL, which is basically allows a user to draw computer graphics into the browser and it works on lots of different mobile devices, desktop computers. So you can create games, you can create interactive art. You have a lot of power to create a lot of different things with it but there's a really amazing library I use called FreeJS and it's beginner friendly and it kind of simplifies WebGL development so that is my personal toolkit of choice but if someone was interested in getting into this role or career path I really recommend the FreeJS documentation I guess is a really great place to start but there's also other platforms that have been set up I think there was recently a platform set up by Bruno Simon I'll have to yeah I'm going to Google the name of the platform. But yeah, there's really great video tutorials out there now for learning creative development and teaching people how to make particle systems, generative meshes, and all these different components. Cool. So I guess FreeJS, that sounds like a JavaScript based. It's a like JavaScript based, yeah, um, library. And it's super accessible for people because all you need is a laptop to get started. And that's what I love about interactive art. You don't need to buy 
loads of different bits and bobs. All you just need is a computer with a medium graphics card and a code editor and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I'm definitely going to start exploring this. I've been wanting to. And what about you, Tyus? You said you're making more material art, I suppose we could call it. Illustration, bookmaking, printing. Yeah, what was your process of transitioning to the virtual or online medium? And did you change your style? Like, did aspects of the style change? Or did you explore different things in your work now that it's digital medium? It's funny, though, because... Now that I start really looking into digital art, I realized that for a long time, I've been kind of mixing both of them because between 2016 and 18, I did a drawing series for Instagram. Like I would post one drawing a day. And also when I graduated in move school, my final work was a combination between animation and video that you film that you record with your cell phone so I've been always interested in these questions about the relations between the physical world and the digital world also just in 2019 I continued this research about these relations and in 2020 I started this project that I'm currently working that's Jardim but I'm not sure how it will change I think I will go slowly right now I'm really into trying painting with acrylic so I will keep doing that I'm doing some animations with acrylic painting also because I think it's something that you don't see a lot animation with painting because it's a lot of work but I'm trying that and I don't know, I still have like a lot of projects that not all is integrated into the digital. I think I look into the digital art, questionings and aesthetics, but I think I will be always in between both worlds. Even though in this digital simulation that I've made, it starts with my poetic beginning was thinking about how the perception of our body can make us create digital image some kind of mindfulness things. You have to perceive your body to create the image inside the simulation because it's also inspired by Japanese rock gardens and the practice of creation of them, which is very related to a mindfulness meditation practice in Buddhism aspects. That's so beautiful. Amazing. So has selling on the Hick at Nook platform or just showing your work, exhibiting your work on the Hick at Nook platform changed your ability to sell, to reach more people or even progressed your practice and your work in other ways? Yeah, I used to sell my work before because I went to a lot of independent book fairs. So I would sell my zines and my books but it made me do it in a different way now I have to speak a lot of English which I'm not very used to like this year I think I speak more English than I have my whole life sometimes I get even confused Portuguese or English oh my god no but it's been really amazing to reach out to a global community because I never thought I could like talk to artists from Philippines or Malaysia, it was something so far for me. Also, the language barrier, kind of hard to get to know these artists, even with the promise of social media that, oh no, you have access to this global community. The social medias usually have algorithms. They close you inside a bubble and you only have access to people that 
are more around you. So that was a huge difference for me. And in the second part of my project, when I released the virtual simulation, I asked people to send me what they were producing inside of it. And I've got like more than 70 images with more than 42 people like sending to me. And for me, that was really amazing because I have never reached out to, I mean, you reach out to more people, but like having this kind of response online, this is really amazing. People from all over the world saying about your projects and say it's good things. It was, well, maybe I have potential. <laughs> what about for yourself, Emily? Yeah, I guess I've made a few sales and it's kind of really pushed me to continue making my artwork. Sometimes it's a balance between doing your day job and obviously also making artwork and the tools you need to make your artwork in your spare time because I like to create as much as I can from scratch. It's just my process and it's pushed me to learn more advanced things to create more innovative artworks for myself and push the boundary of what I'm capable of doing. I guess when you keep seeing people post artwork every day, there's this thing in your mind. It's like, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep, you know, like making art, but I don't want to keep releasing art for the sake of it. I like to take my time. I don't want to just upload anything I make. I like to really think about what I'm producing and have a purposeful meaning behind it as well. Yeah, I guess the, the latest thing I was researching was like ray tracing and I want to make my own ray tracing engine to create more artwork in that sense. But the process of learning that stuff takes a few months and it's really technical, but at least then I'll have more creative freedom to create artwork that I can't previously make. Yeah, I feel like with creative coding, it could also be such a great way for people who find the idea of coding and software engineering to be really scary for maths brains. You know what I mean? Like I'm not from a math or physics or sciences background, but I just got into it through curiosity. But it's quite nice to have the creative aspect along with the technical aspect, you know, like, yeah, coding can be creative. Well, well yeah, because it, it, it can be really intimidating, right? Because you see visuals, you see references, what you like, and then you think, how can I replicate that or do something similar or go in that direction? And then you, you're faced with these complex algorithms you see wrote on Wikipedia. And I don't learn like that. I wasn't from a computer science background. I learned through visually breaking down what's in an image and then trying to research the algorithms that way. And I still struggle with the maths. I'm not that perfect at all when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I have the determination and passion to learn it over time and be patient with the technical side of things because it does require a lot of time investment outside of work to kind of do these things. But I think as creative coders, we're naturally curious about how things work and we're willing to take that leap of faith to do the more scary stuff. <laughs> So, Emily, you did actually mention this. You said you were interested in Hicket Nook also because of the clean NFTs approach. Could you tell us a little bit about the environmental issues that NFTs pose and what is the clean NFT alternative or clean NFT alternatives that are being explored? Yeah, that's a great question. We've always known that blockchain transactions can be really expensive in terms of gas cost 
on Ethereum and Bitcoin because they both use proof of work. And as far as I'm aware, it requires a lot of computing power to validate these transactions. And this is why you see like huge mining farms in certain places around the world, because it can be a very lucrative business for some people who obviously want to lend their graphics power to kind of validate these things. But at the same time, it requires so much energy consumption. It's really harmful for the environment. And there's been a few platforms like Nifty Gateway who have said, well, they've launched campaigns in the past, like the carbon drop or something or carbon initiative where they say, oh, by doing this campaign or we're offsetting the carbon by like X amount. But in reality, that's not really the case. If you're consuming a lot of energy, you're consuming a lot of energy. You can't just say by planting a thousand trees, you're going to kind of offset that. But the Tezos blockchain uses proof of stake, which is, I kind of, I guess, a different way to validate transactions. And from what I've heard, it can just be done on some laptop. It doesn't require like a whole network of computers to validate these transactions. So it's a lot more energy efficient. And it also means it's cheaper for people to make transactions on the blockchain and mint that artwork. And going forward, like there's always been talk about climate change. And I don't understand how smart technology can be so bad for the environment. If it was smart, it would never be like this in the first place. So I'm kind of surprised it got to this stage. Let's keep the conversation going. Send your comments, questions and feedback on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures or email hello at globaldigitalfutures.com. We might just give you a shout out on the next episode. I know proof of work is bad for the environment, but the only question is like it's better for the environment because in proof of stake, you don't show your work. You don't show how much energy you have spent to solve the algorithm. Instead, who is richer gets more validation. So it's also not a good system because people who are richer have more validation points to value a transaction. I mean, I think blockchains, not sure if they're for the good or for the bad. It's just different validation mechanisms. And for me, this discussion about the amount of energy, that's kind of new. We don't discuss that a lot in Brazil. I don't know how it's Zimbabwe, but it's kind of we have more urgent ecological issues, such as the Amazon being invaded by miners and people who want to sell the wood forests and whole environments being burned out because like the past three years we have huge fires now we have a low water in the places that make energy so we might have an energy crisis as well energy is getting more expensive so this kind of discussion for me feels like when you say we must save water turn off the sink when you brush your teeth take less uh, faster showers but the reality we know <laughs> who spends more water is the people who are like the agribusiness the industry and it goes like only to the consumer to make the right decision the ecological decision i hope it makes us more conscious about every network or anything that we use because if you tweet 
if you Google something, you are spending some kind of energy as well. And you have no idea. You have any idea how much energy costs to produce your cell phone, your computer. You have no idea. And everybody was like, oh, no, crypto art is going to destroy the world and blah, blah, blah. And for me, it's, of course, it's very important. And we know like the climate change will affect more global south. But for me, this discussion feels a little bit like global north. So worried about the environment. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a lot more going on than like an FT artist destroying the world. Yeah, I think it's just education as well. A lot of us aren't educated on these things and they're very te technological kind of like concepts to kind of grasp as well. Like when you look at very wealthy cities and you see how much advertisement on billboards that are using electric screens, like we don't really think about the energy consumption of those things. And it, they're not like mandatory, you know, it's just advertisers want to show us stuff. So, you know, I think everyone should be considerate on how much electricity you use and not use it for the sake of it. And I think that should be more the conversation going forward rather than, as Ty said, finding a group to kind of target for their energy consumption because no one's perfect, you know. It's just we have to find ways to do better on how we consume information as well. Yeah, thank you both on that point because... Just bringing up those different considerations, really, really important and thought-provoking. So just to close, um, we've touched on quite a few things. How would you say NFTs and digital artworks are connected to the future of art in a bigger sense? Right now, is it a sort of niche thing that people who are in the know are participating in? Or do you feel it's going to be as mainstream as the traditional art industries, you know? Where do you think that it might go and the impact that it might have? I think it's just the beginning of these things. As we've seen the last 20 years, things have just got more digital and it's never going to stop, you know. I think some shoe brands were thinking of launching NFTs along with their shoes, right? So like you're going to see more physical and digital kind of tie-ins where people can take ownership of an asset in the physical world as well. But the more we see metaverses being built, people are going to want to populate these metaverses with assets they own. And people like customization, people are willing to spend a lot of money on video games, buying collectibles or if there is a way for people to resell these assets as well, that's even better because the blockchain allows people to do that and it allows the original artist or creator to gain secondary sales. We're going to see more like physical um, tie-ins to digital assets as well, where you purchase like a frame to put on your wall and it shows you your artwork or it shows you your assets. Uh, we don't really see that an awful lot right now, but I think it's going to become more commercially available for people. I agree with Amalie. I believe we are just in the beginning and how it goes. I wish I could know. I need because then I will be rich in the future. I'll be a psychic, you know. I don't know where to go and get money from myself. But maybe something that we didn't mention here and Amelie mentioned now that NFTs, they have a lot of potential into the art market. First, because it allows for peer-to-peer -peer, um, purchase. Second, because it gives us authenticity certificate that will not be lost. Because usually when you sell an artwork, you give to the person who bought it uh, a paper that is an authentic certificate. It can be registered or not, but you give to the person. I So... The NFT is this certificate, but digital and in the blockchain, which means it will last forever. 
as long as this blockchain lasts, the NFT will exist. And I think maybe it will be more and more used, this sense, to authenticate a something, even if it's in the physical world, like a shoe or a painting, a physical painting. It also gives this huge opportunity and that's not very common in the art world, that is the royalties for secondary market. It only happens for like huge artists and huge buyings. But for example, there was like a huge Basquiat bid auction. And I don't know, it was millions and millions of dollars. And of course, Basquiat family didn't got anything, even though it was announced. Here in Brazil, we have a law that supposedly guarantee royalties, but it doesn't work. No one follows this law. So it gives a transparency in this sense because it's on the blockchain. So who had minted, even though it's not the artist, we have royalties forever as long as this NFT has been selling. That's very interesting. And maybe this kind of thing, like transparency and royalties, scares a little bit the big art world. But we are seeing more and more auctions houses such as Sordaby and Christie's doing NFT auctions and... We are seeing also some galleries in entering the NFT world and also huge brands like Taco Bell, Coca-Cola, <laughs> things like that. So I believe we are really in the beginning. I mean, Bitcoin has been around since 2007, 2009. I don't know. It's something that's very recent. But because of the acceleration of time, I think everyone is having a FOMO right now. And it creates a bubble, of course. And when this bubble explodes, we will see. And also NFTs right now are being used for digital files, digital art files. But they can be used in for any digital file, in fact. And blockchain is a system that provides transparency. So it might be applied in other aspects of our life. We're really seeing this technology birth. So it's an amazing opportunity. Kind of scares me a little bit, but let's see how it goes. Amazing. Yeah, it's really awesome. Thank you so much, both of you, for connecting with us, taking the time for this conversation. You know, we read so much and it's such a big world. It's all technical. And so actually now with this conversation, I'm like, oh, I like really get it and all the different things to think about and actually wanting to dip my toe into it as well. So <laughs> thank you so much for such a really lovely conversation <laughs> well i'm more than happy to help you get set up on hiccup and to guide you getting your artwork on there and any information discussed now thank you so much thank you so much for inviting us it's always a pleasure to talk and it seems like it is a very complex thing nfts and blockchain but if we go with the intention to learn it's something that is very gratificant because as you learn about like blockchain and crypto coin, you start thinking about the financial world and the financial systems that we have. And I think it brings like a lot of thoughts. And if you do it like in a critical way, maybe we can start to get into some solutions that change the shit world that we are living right now.
thank you for listening to this episode with Amelie Meyer and Tice Cascino of Diverse NFT Art. Follow Diverse NFT Art on Twitter at Diverse NFT Art and discover more on their website www.diversenft.art. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help with our ranking. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at www.globaldigitalfutures.com and on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures.